Hello, everyone, and welcome to the January 30th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A federal judge in Northern California issued a preliminary injunction halting the implementation of a controversial California COVID misinformation law aimed at disciplining physicians who are not in favor of recommending COVID vaccinations to their patients. The request for a preliminary injunction was made by a group of California physicians against enforcement of AB 2098 that was signed into law last September and became effective this year. This law empowers the Medical Board of California and the Osteopathic Medical Board of California to discipline physicians who disseminate information about COVID-19 that departs from what the law calls contemporary scientific consensus. The plaintiffs in this case are five physicians who filed a lawsuit last November alleging that AB 2098 violates their First Amendment rights to free speech and expression and their patients' First Amendment rights to receive information from them and their 14th Amendment rights to due process of law. The term misinformation is defined in the new law as false information that is contradicted by contemporary scientific consensus contrary to the standard of care. However, the Act neither defines nor provides guidance for determining the meaning of what might be contemporary scientific consensus. In this case, the five doctors contend that the law's definition of misinformation is unconstitutionally vague and therefore violated the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. A statute is unconstitutionally vague when it either fails to provide a person of ordinary intelligence fair notice of what is prohibited or is so standardless that it authorizes or encourages seriously discriminatory enforcement. The operative question under the fair notice theory is whether a reasonable person would know what is prohibited by the law. Vague statutes are particularly objectionable when they involve sensitive areas of First Amendment freedoms because they operate to inhibit the exercise of those rights. And the federal judge pointed out that the government provided no evidence that scientific consensus has any established technical meaning and lacks an established meaning within the medical community. The judge went on to say that courts have based their understanding of scientific consensus on a wide range of sources, including U.S. professional organizations, international professional organizations, state and federal courts, U.S. scientific studies, international scientific studies, various federal agencies, and the state of California. And because the term scientific consensus is so ill-defined, physicians are unable to determine if their intended conduct contradicts the scientific consensus and 
accordingly what is prohibited by the new law. And since the doctors established a likelihood of success on the grounds of their 14th Amendment, vagueness challenges, the court did not address the merits of their First Amendment argument. And in employment litigation, the Court of Appeal ruled that the Department of Corrections is immune from liability in a prisoner and their nurse-based FIHA sexual harassment claim. Jennifer Bittner and Avelina Herrera were employed as licensed vocational nurses by the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. They filed a class action suit against their employer, alleging that while assigned to duties that included one-on-one suicide monitoring, they were subjected to acts of sexual harassment by prison inmates and that the Department of Correction failed to prevent or remedy the situation in violation of the California Fair Employment and Housing Act. The trial court granted summary judgment in favor of the Department of Corrections because it was entitled to statutory immunity under the government code, which generally provides that a public entity is not liable for an injury caused by any prisoner. The Court of Appeal affirmed the dismissal in the published case of Bittner v. Department of Corrections. The nurses in this case argued that the court should interpret this government code section to include an exception for claims brought pursuant to FIHA, but the Court of Appeal disagreed and said that any ambiguity in this immunity law is easily resolved in light of well-established canons of construction. When the language of a statute is clear, courts need go no further, and in this case, the opinion concluded that the plain meaning of the immunity statute's words are clear and unambiguous. And the opinion also cited a California Supreme Court case that considered and rejected the argument that FIHA claims should be exempt from the statutory governmental immunity. The city of San Francisco secured a $5.25 million settlement with Instacart after an Office of Labor Standards Enforcement investigation into the company's compliance with two San Francisco labor laws. After widespread reports of app-based tech companies misclassifying workers, the authorities initiated an investigation into Instacart's compliance with San Francisco's health care security ordinance and paid sick leave ordinance. The city of San Francisco law requires employers with 20 or more workers to spend a minimum amount on health care benefits per covered employee, and the other ordinance requires employers to provide sick leave to all employees in San Francisco. The vast majority of the settlement will go directly to about 5,000 Instacart workers who provided services and made deliveries in San Francisco. Many of these workers covered by the settlement are essential workers who were making deliveries in 2020 at the height of the pandemic. The city attorney said that this is the city's second major settlement directly benefiting delivery app workers in San Francisco. 
Following a similar investigation, the Office of Labor Standards Enforcement secured a $5.235 million settlement for DoorDash workers in 2021. Instacart said it was pleased to have reached a settlement with the city, but added that Instacart has always properly classified shoppers as independent contractors, giving them the ability to set their own schedule and earn on their own terms. The San Francisco settlement comes just three months after Instacart was ordered to pay $45.6 million to settle a labor-related case filed by the city of San Diego in 2019. That judgment covered about 300,000 people who work for the tech company who are classified as independent contractors. And now our crime report. After a two-week trial, a federal jury convicted 58-year-old David Jess Miller, who lived in Santa Ana, and his company, Minnesota Independent Cooperative, of a wide array of charges relating to the unlicensed and fraudulent distribution of prescription drugs. The indictments involved additional defendants who were not involved at the trial. Miller was at the center of a vast racketeering enterprise, responsible for the fraudulent distribution of hundreds of millions of dollars worth of diverted prescription drugs, including instances in which Miller and his co-conspirators distributed tampered medication that posed a health risk to consumers. The scheme targeted brand-name prescription drugs designed to treat HIV, hepatitis C, mental disorders, and various other serious conditions. Miller and his company lied to their customers about the nature and sources of their prescription drugs being sold, falsely claiming that the drugs had been maintained in the safe federally and state-regulated supply chain. Miller and his company agreed with many others, including 37-year-old Miran Stefanian and 45-year-old Artur Stefanian, who, to accomplish their wide-ranging and long-lasting criminal enterprise. The enterprise operated primarily out of the Southern California and Minnesota distributing diverted prescription drugs to unsuspecting pharmacies throughout the country. Miller bought approximately $157 million of diverted prescription drugs from his co-defendants, who were not licensed to sell prescription drugs, and that procured their drugs from street suppliers. Miller laundered hundreds of millions of dollars to conceal the nature of their scheme. He remains out of custody pending sentencing when he faces a maximum statutory term of life in prison. The Stefanians and 38 other defendants have pleaded guilty to their respective roles in the conspiracies. Encino Hospital engaged SRCC Associates to manage and operate Serenity Recovery Center at the hospital under the hospital's direction and control to provide acute short-term drug and alcohol detoxification services. In 2016, Mary Lynn Rapier filed a ketom action on behalf of the people of the state of California alleging violations of the Insurance Frauds Prevention Act 
against Encino Hospital and other defendants. The California Department of Insurance elected to intervene and take over prosecution of the case. The case was eventually pared down to allege a cause of action for illegal patient steering and a cause of action for submission of false claims against six defendants. Although Encino Hospital is properly licensed as a general acute care hospital, the California Department of Insurance alleged that it could not legally operate a medical detoxification facility because it had no separate license as a chemical dependency recovery hospital, and that in billing for detox services for which they had no proper license, they knowingly submitted at least 1,858 fraudulent insurance claims, and that Serenity employed a referring party to funnel patients to its program in exchange for Serenity's discharging acute care patients to chronic care facilities affiliated with the referring party. But after a bench trial, the trial court found that the California Department of Insurance's fraud theory was unsupported by any evidence of a false statement or omission, specific intent to defraud, materiality, or reliance. On the contrary, the judge found that the undisputed evidence was that all defendants intended to follow the law, consulted attorneys when unsure about what to do, and relied on a lack of information from any agency, including the California Department of Insurance, that their practices were improper, even after the allegations in this case were made public. The trial court found that the California Department of Insurance claims including the CDI itself, constituted a vast overreach as to parties, theories, and scope. Thus, the trial court found in favor of the defendants, and the Court of Appeal affirmed in the published case of State of California versus Encino Hospital Medical Center. On appeal, the California Department of Insurance contended the trial court erred by interpreting the IFPA as applying only to fraudulent claims as opposed to simply false claims, and by interpreting the act as requiring a cash exchange as opposed to an exchange of any item or service of value. California Department of Insurance further contended the trial court erred in denying it a jury trial. The Insurance Fraud Prevention Act originally enacted in 1993, consists of eight articles concerning insurance fraud, and the Court of Appeal reviewed amendments to the Act since then, and the legislative intent. Although the former law allowed actions arising from any workers' compensation claim, even if the claim was not fraudulent, it was amended in 1995 to require proof that a claim was illegal and fraudulent and was amended again in 1999 by adding the last sentence to say that penalties are to be assessed for each fraudulent claim presented to an insurer. Here, the trial court found no evidence suggesting that the defendants presented a false claim to any insurer. The Court of Appeal agreed and said no authority obligates Encino Hospital to hold any license other than its license as a general acute care hospital. 
and California Department of Insurance demanded a jury trial but failed to deposit jury fees. And in any event, the California Department of Insurance's causes of action were not subject to a jury trial. The IFPA affords no explicit right to a jury trial on causes of action it creates. And in regulatory news, the San Francisco mayor approved a new city ordinance to require private employers to pay employees who are military reservists and are called for military duty the difference between their military salary and their salary as employees for up to 30 days in a calendar year. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors passed the ordinance in December and it will go into effect on February 19, 2023. Under this act, an employee means any employee of any employer who works within the geographic boundaries of San Francisco, including part-time and temporary employees, and who is a member of the Uniformed Service Organizations of the United States. An employer who is subject to this law is one who regularly employs 100 or more employees, regardless of location, but does not include the city or any other governmental entity. If it is found after an administrative hearing that any supplemental compensation was unlawfully withheld, the amount withheld from the employee will be multiplied by three or $250, whichever amount is greater as the administrative penalty paid to the employee. And quite similar to the California Public Attorney General Act, that's PAGA, the city or any person or entity acting on behalf of the public may bring a civil action against the employer or other person violating this new law. And upon prevailing, be entitled to only to equitable, injunctive, or restitutionary relief and reasonable attorney fees and costs. The Federal Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, announced another annual inflationary-based increase in the civil monetary penalties for violations of the Federal Occupational Safety Act and health standards and regulations. The new penalties will be nearly 10% higher than the previous penalty amounts under the Federal Civil Penalties Inflation Adjustment Act Improvements Act of 2015. The Inflation Adjustment Act required agencies to adjust the level of civil monetary penalties with an initial catch-up adjustment through an interim final rule and make subsequent annual adjustments for inflation no later than January 15th of each year. Thus, the OSHA Cost of Living Adjustment Multiplier for 2023 is based on the Consumer Price Index for all urban consumers for October 2022. Using this formula, willful or repeated violations, for example, will be $156,259 per violation. States that operate their own occupational safety and health plans such as California, are required to adopt minimum penalty levels that are at least as effective as as federal OSHAs. And there are some costly new changes to the penalty provisions of Cal-OSHA authority. 
On September 28, 2021, California Governor Newsom signed into law Senate Bill 606, which created two new categories of Cal-OSHA violations, egregious and enterprise-wide. The new categories of violations carry significant monetary penalties against employers. The maximum penalty for either of these new categories is issued for each instance of an employee exposed. So the total penalty could theoretically result in hundreds of millions of dollars. And CalOSHA is reminding employers in California to post their 2022 annual summary of work-related injuries and illnesses, including those related to COVID-19 by February 1, 2023. The Form 300A Summary must be posted in a visible and easily accessible area that each, at each work site each year from February 1st through April 30th. Employers are required to complete and post Form 300A even if no workplace injuries occurred. Current and former employees and their representatives are entitled to a copy of the summary or the log upon request. Many employers in California must also comply with electronic submission of workplace injury and illness records requirements by March 2nd each year. The definitions and requirements for recordable work-related fatalities, injuries, and illnesses are outlined in the California Code of Regulations. The Division of Workers' Compensation has issued a notice of a public hearing for more proposed amendments to the Qualified Medical Evaluator Regulations. Their proposed changes are necessary to bring existing regulations into compliance with amendments to the Labor Code and to clarify the Administrative Director's authority with respect to the process related to appointment and reappointment of QMEs. Their proposed amendments include provisions allowing QME reappointment hearings to be heard by other tribunals in addition to the Office of Administrative Hearings. A March 13, 2023 public hearing on the proposed regulations has been scheduled at 10 o'clock a.m. in the auditorium of the Elihu Harris Building in Oakland. Members of the public may also submit written comments on the regulations until the end of that day. The notice of rulemaking, text of the regulations, and the initial statement of reasons can be found on the DWC rulemaking webpage. And in medical news, Agile Occupational Medicine announced that it had completed its merger with Pinnacle Healthcare. The combined practices provide 14 clinics throughout California and Yuma, Arizona, creating the fourth largest occupational medical group in California. Pinnacle Healthcare was founded in 1999 with the goal of providing high-quality medical care for non-life-threatening situations, as well as occupational medicine options and urgent care. According to its website, hundreds of employers in several Northern California cities and counties choose Pinnacle Healthcare to be their sole provider in treating and managing employee and workplace health needs. Agile currently has 14 clinics throughout California 
and focuses on forming partnerships with local businesses to ensure that the medical needs of local employees are addressed. Agile offers a wide range of occupational health programs. After this merger, the two combined companies say they will be the fourth largest occupational medical group in California. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. We also publish our daily news, our podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarin, Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news. Music